So without further ado, Mrs. Tabitha Wallace, how's it going? Hey, Hi, how's it going? Guys. I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Pretty um, good. What's up? You know, just quarantining. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our, uh, yeah, you're, we noticed in your Twitter bio, uh, you're proudly Midwestern, just like us, Wisconsin uh, born and raised. We're from, yep. uh, we're in Missouri right now. Both of us are born in Kansas. Um but uh, are you sticking it out in the Midwest for uh, the the uh, hall of uh, COVID nineteen? Um, I'm actually kind of I got stuck in DC. Mm -hmm. Oh, DC. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I, was, I was I was still here after I had uh, left watching the Hawks. The COVID sort of pandemic hit just a couple of months later, mm -hmm. and so I've kind of been hungered down here for the for the length of the pandemic because like I personally, I'm a type one diabetic. Oh, so yeah, I'm going to take it a little seriously. It. Yeah. Which I only found out during, during this whole pandemic. Oh, no way. That sounds like a story. Wow. It's, it's a fun story about things like sexism and uh, our incredibly horrible medical system and insurance, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so I've been really, I was really careful before that, but then I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Well, I do have a clip to share uh, that I wanted to get your reaction to. And Zach, this is pretty funny. Speaking of quarantine and you lockdown. Fly from state to state without All right, let me start this over. Uh, this was on Fox News this morning, I believe this morning. I'm not sure. I, I actually stole this from the Humanist Report. Good friend of the show, Mike Figueredo, was reacting to this. And this is absolutely hilarious. They're talking about quarantine and COVID and um, where these lockdowns are leading. And this is just truly surreal, truly bizarre and hilarious. And I wanted to get your guys' reaction to this. Now we can't fly from state to state without a vaccination card, but we can vote without an ID card. Don't you think it's happening. We're getting played to such a massive level here. And Americans are like frogs in warm water. They're turning up the heat and we're not jumping out. Yeah. We got to call we, we got to call an, an end to it all and stand up for ourselves because we've given away all of our rights in the name of safety. Un unlock, for heaven's sake. S stop these, res these, these restrictions on our everyday lives, on our freedom. Can we put up that graphic again? showing the number of new cases way down to more than four. There you go. 41% decline in new cases in a 14-day change. 22% decline in new deaths. If ever there was a time for a brave politician to stand up and say, come on, boys, unlock, get on with it. Now's the time, isn't it, Scott? Stuart, 100% correct. We don't have the money. We're bankrupting my great-great-grandchildren as we speak. We just don't have the money. So open up. That's the problem. And again, the, our, our elites are telling us to wear a second and maybe a third mask. At the same time, we've got 12 states that are lifting their mask mandates. The utter hypocrisy is now verging on total garbage. Utter. And America just doesn't like getting played. They'll trust the people that are our leaders until a point where they can see that this just isn't working out. You need to have, to have a vaccine ID maybe to fly from state to state, but you don't need one to vote. Or Gavin Newsom going to go over all of those signatures because they're calling for his head. But when it came to the voting for the absentee ballots, they don't care about if there's a signature or not. I mean, this has gotten to such a point here where if you have to stand up or they're just going to take everything away. I, and I'm not, I don't have a tinfoil hat on, right? I'm not a crazy person. No, not, but no. this is leading to the that I don't want to go. Really? We I'm started with 15 days to stop the spread. 
and no it's mention turned of into the stay at home until you accept communism. <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay. That's excellent. So you guys ready for the communist, communist age? That's yeah. what this is all about. Anyway, I, I just thought I that, no that, that if it weren't for the cow suit, he would just would have been some, you know, random person on Fox News. But he knows he knows what's up as far as, you know, branding, because I, I definitely uh, caught my eye and, and you know, listened to what he had to say. Unfortunately, it was absolutely vapid and uh, quite stupid. But uh, that's the kind of, you know, content that's being programmed over at Fox News, in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> Yeah, and they're bagging on Biden's dog over on Newsmax. So it's a real intellectual powerhouse. It's very stimulating. It's on the right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what do you make of that whole um, lockdowns? You know, because it is true that the the COVID cases do seem to be going down a little bit. Um, in your opinion, what's the correct governmental moves to be making? I mean, obviously, Biden's just been sworn in fairly recently. Do you think the schools should be opening back up? Do you think that uh, what's your what's your reading on this? Well, I think some part of why the, the cases are going down has to be attributed to people wearing their masks, uh, people being careful, and people, quite frankly, staying home, not getting going to restaurants, not going to bars, not gathering in big groups. Because when you see people gather in groups of more than, you know, seven to 10, you immediately have half the people have cases. Like it's, it's almost inevitable. We saw it at Thanksgiving. We saw it at Christmas. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen it at New Year's and I just, it boggles my mind because I mean, World War One, World War Two. you know, people were like making their own soap and living on rations yeah. and, you know, like, building things and fewer people that had died right <laughs> and and i'm just kind of amazed that the same people who are like you should be an american and you should be tough and be able to what are you doing for country and they all none of them want to do like the tiniest because war makes money and covid loses money <laughs> right I'm like, well, let's just put some branding into it. I don't know what we need to do, but yeah, I just, I never thought that I would actually see this world where people don't actually avoid the plague like the plague. Yeah. And yeah, that I, just I, added I <laughs> part of the reason that the COVID cases have been going down. And I think it's kind of, I, I, I can't imagine that it doesn't have something to do with the fact that people have been locked in their homes because we've been in negative 20 degree weather all across this country <laughs> in a polar vortex for the past two weeks. So it's not like it's been an uh, uh, opportune time to get out and congregate, right? right? Like everything's right. been halted. You can't go anywhere in half the country. Texas is out of power. Of course, people are not spreading this disease right now. It, this is not a rational justification for, oh, the virus is going away. No, the virus has never just been going away, right? Like it's just human social patterns will, you know, continue to cause like a, a like a, you know, a, a roller coaster effect essentially. Right. Um, and I'll, I, and you also have to consider the new strains. Um, you know, are you, are you at all confident that Joe Biden's going to be able to kind of steer this ship in the right direction? You know, uh, right now he's talking about with the setbacks because of the polar vortex. And we can talk about the implications of climate change more on later. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be, he's kind of kicked the can down to July saying when most people will be able to have access to this vaccine. Um, obviously the, 
uh, discrepancy in who's going to have access to this vaccine first is of high concern to many people. Um, not, um, you know, considering the uh, urban lack of uh, resources, but also rural lack of resources. So basically, uh, all of our marginalized communities across this country are going to have a difficult time, you know, even if they are a high risk person. Um, so I'm just wondering if uh, broad stroke, what's your uh, response to that? And, and do you have any optimism that it's going to get better under Biden? Or do you think we can expect more, uh, you know, death and despair? <laughs> well, I'm a Gen Xer, so I assume there's going to be death and despair anyway. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think that, you know, first we have to sort of clean up you have to clean up a pretty awful administrative mess that was left behind. And I, I mean that not just in a policy standpoint, I mean, just like generally disorganized, not understanding how a basic, um, you know, governmental structure works kind of administration. So there's one, they kind of have to play catch up with the things that weren't done ahead of time that should have been done. Um, do I think that if Joe Biden was president when COVID hit or if Hillary Clinton was president when COVID hit, that it would have been a hundred times better and we wouldn't be? No, I think we'd still be probably pretty close to where we are, except maybe we'd have a little more people vaccinated by now. So, I mean, I think things will get better, but I, it's a, I don't expect us to be really back comfortably out and about without masks going to restaurants and stuff until 2022 yeah. and concerts. And I, and I think the government should just, everybody should just understand that. And the government should be paying people so that that happens yeah. instead of suddenly sending everybody out willy nilly, like our bovine friend on Fox <laughs> news. Um, <laughs> I love cows. Um, who's like, oh, open it up because we need the money. I'm like, no, it's going to cost more. It's going to cost more and it shouldn't matter because every other, you know, civilized nation paid people to stay home. Yeah, yeah. And that's well, what they should have done. And then there wouldn't be an issue with the economy because people would be at home ordering groceries. They would be buying things offline. They would be spending money. It would The economy would keep going. Yeah. Well, it, it really is crazy. Like you're mentioning how even if Hillary Clinton or... Joe Biden had been president when the pandemic started. Um, you know, we might be in a little bit of a better place, but it, not in a dramatic sense, probably. You know, there's still neoliberals at the whim of corporate America who's, uh, you know, put profit above people this entire pandemic. And it really just, you know, brings home how similar our two party establishments are right now, um, not only with the pandemic response, but also Biden's foreign policy, you know, despite uh, him posturing as if he had all these different plans and ideas uh, for our foreign policy. It's it's basically, you know, uh, the same with a few minor tweaks and a few, you know, admittedly positive developments. But for the most part, it's, you know, a lot of window dressing on imperialist policies. And in some cases, even ramping up said imperialist policies with troops in Iraq and, and such. And, and I'm just wondering, um, because, you know, when you were watching the Hawks, I, I really enjoyed um, the reporting you would do. I, I remember you were at the Green Party convention in 2016, and uh, you guys talked to Nick Brana from the People's Party, had had some great coverage and conversations about third party movements. And, and I'm just wondering if you have any, um, any ideas or any thoughts about any modern third party movements. We see um, support for third parties actually at an all time high right now. This is according to Gallup. 
Um, so it, it seems like there's, this is in the air right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of varying opinions on whether or not it's a wasted effort or wasted potential to even pursue in the first place, or if it's a valid use of resources and activist energy. And again, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on Americans' desire for a third party and the viability of any modern efforts. I think that we do, uh, we see that on the both the right and the left, for better or worse, they want something else than what we already have, which is a pretty, two very vapid parties that are, you know, run and powered by large corporations, money that they give to both sides. So, like, they're kind of useless. And I don't even know if it's worth, you know, I've, I've vacillated between this idea of, you know, why don't we take over the Democratic Party, those on the left, take over the Democratic Party, take their infrastructure, take all their stuff and just like push them out. And I still think that's a viable option, but I think you're still always going to have a certain power in there that's going to be very corporate and toes the line and, um, you know, a socially liberal war loving is kind of where the like you're I, I feel like you can't get rid of those people who are going to love war and want to sell it uh and make a lot of money on it who are also going to tout that they're you know pro-choice and so progressive the rainbow bombers yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it's they're pretty we, were you, you surprised know, we at it all you know as a long time hawk watcher you know somebody who's had their eye on foreign policy for you know a time you know uh, i guess one of the I, you know, maybe it was naivete. I don't know. When I was looking at the candidacy of Joe Biden, it was a really mixed bag. Obviously, you have a fucking, you know, we don't even need to describe Trump. Uh, our feelings about him on the vanguard are pretty apparent. But on the other hand, you know, you know, I, I found Biden almost just as odious for the, you know, uh, crime bill and, you know, the bankruptcy bill and, you know, just his entire uh, you know, time in the Senate, you know, palling up with Strom Thurmond, arch segregationist, just, I mean, all of these kinds of draconian policies that he'd been in favor of cheerleading war, et cetera, uh, you know, uh, covering up torture. Um, these are all things that I think are just as odious as the, you know, uh, corrupt acts of uh Donald Trump, except for maybe they would be like slightly less, right? Like, you know, I did expect him to get back into the New START treaty. I expected him to more forcefully than he has, uh, you know, reduce the United States support for the Saudi genocide in Yemen. Uh, I expected him to immediately uh, work with Iran to get back into the Iran deal. If nothing else, because he loves to anchor himself to the Obama administration's legacy, it would end the Iran deal being among their chief foreign policy accomplishments. I thought for sure he would just take the easy route in, be like, see, I'm doing exactly what Obama did, take the you know easy points. And he didn't. He just said, fuck everybody else. I'm going to be just as imperialist and you know take my dick out and be like, you submit to me or, or we're going to continue to starve your people and make sure your children don't have medicine and toothpaste and all the things they need to survive. I was admittedly surprised at how imperialistic, even you know, with my very low standards. Uh, were you at all surprised? Uh, no, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because he comes from the Clinton era school of, of, Democrat, of the Democratic Party. Yeah. And it's, it's not worth doing if you cannot provide a beautiful picture of you signing papers next to the big mean dictator or, you know, standing in some stupid palace somewhere with a bunch of world leaders showing how you all came together after COVID or whatever. They won't do it until they can figure out a way to make it a photo op. 
It's about legacy. And I swear, he's just trying to save his, it's partly it's about like trying to save your legacy for things you felt were wrong. Um, he, you know, he knows what was wrong with the crime bill and he's going to allow other people to put things through and he'll sign them and be like, great guys. Like I fixed it. Yeah, I didn't very, do anything, but I fixed it. Yeah. 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 I let other people fix it. Um, but with like Iran, Yemen, I, that was disappointing. Cause like you, I mean, the bars. Oh it's yeah. So do you like, do not... Genocide. Are you willing to make money <laughs> yeah. off of the actual genocide of the Yemeni people, the starving children? I mean, you, yeah. if anybody wants to see it, you can find the horrifying photographs of the starving children in this country. And that's because of Saudi Arabia. And they're doing it with the stuff that our country sold them, uh, you know, that we manufactured with your tax dollars. If you're listening to this, uh, and you should take it deeply personally that we're continuing to, uh, in our uh, corrupt shadowy, you know, oh, only when it's defensive fucking horse shit, we're going to continue to supply them with weapon. And, and that's even after the actions of Saudi Arabia under Trump with Jamal Khashoggi. And it really just is indicative but of the, the fact. This is after 9 11. Yeah. It, it's, How it's many really... from 9 were from Saudi Arabia? We've yep. been at war my entire fucking life. But because they're one of the biggest, you know, yeah. like, vendor or they're one of the biggest clients of the defense contractors which is you know like this massive industry that just uh will sell to anyone regardless of their you know moral actions whatever they want to do with the weapons they don't care they're they're neutral they're like you know staples the paper company if they're uh, have a you know giant distributor that wants their product they're gonna they're gonna sell uh, to those people which is why it's it's so disgraceful that we have a profit motive you know surrounding our military industrial complex uh, yeah I, I agree that it is shocking the extent to which Joe Biden has just, you know, kind of continued the horrific foreign policy uh, before him. But I'm also not exactly surprised. I mean, if you look at what happened under Obama, it wasn't exactly, uh, you know, a pretty picture, despite the fact that a lot of people want to move on and forget Yemen and, and all the other invasions that went on under yeah. his watch, shadow wars in Africa. Yeah, exactly. I'm wondering, Tabitha, because you mentioned um, this idea of like taking over the Democratic Party and you oscillate between that, um, you know, idea for maybe enacting some progressive change or affecting some progressive change in this country. Um, I'm wondering what you think is, if you have any ideas or predictions about what's going to happen in 2024, whether or not you think Biden will still be a viable candidate to run for reelection, or if you think they're going to try to shove Kamala Harris down our throats as the nominee and get everyone else out of the way, kind of like in 2016, where they, you know, just tried to coronate Hillary Clinton and you know, pretend like there was no, you know, battling of, of any factions or any kind of resent or anything like that um, towards her. Uh, do you have any, do you have any predictions in that realm? Um, my first prediction is that Jeff Bezos is going to run. Really? I have a, re I just have a feeling. That's I just, I feel like he's doing certain things financially with some of his, you know, where he's yeah. sitting on boards that he's shifting them around in a way that makes me believe that he's going to run for office. Uh, I, I can't imagine him running for not, not running for president, but with the massive could, ego, the Messiah complex. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't see him running for like vice president or like Senator. So I, just, I think, you know, I'm running to be a city council person. Just want to get my foot in the door and serve the people of Seattle, you know? <laughs> oh my god that would be so amazing i would love that um but yeah i don't think that's gonna happen uh, seem like I he's that kind of guy <laughs> no um i think there will be at least one other billionaire person 
that will try to put their hat in the ring. There, there's going to be like seven, right? Like we're going to see Howard Schultz pathetically get in again. You're going to see like <laughs> Mark Cuban be like, fine, it's time to oh, put yeah. an end to this. You know, like I'm going to get in the race. You're gonna, you know, I just think it's going to be sad. <laughs> it's going to be a bunch of people spending a hundred million dollars on their own ego only to realize, yeah. wait, Donald Trump was actually a political genius. Like, yeah, we fucking fooled ourselves this entire time. Yeah, but yeah. I don't can't just buy an election. I think that you're an idiot if you're a billionaire and you just think your money is going to be able to buy you the presidency. Exactly. Because what happened with Michael Bloomberg? And look what happened with Howard Schultz yeah. or whatever his name was. Like, people were like, get the fuck away from me. Like, we don't want this. We don't. Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> Republicans hate Jeff Bezos, too. Like, no one is particularly a huge fan of that guy unless you're, like, one of the elites, too. One of these, uh, you know, crazy rich people. Um, so I, I mean, it's, I feel like these people's egos are just so massive that it, they, they do, they do think they'll be, they're going to be well-received and then they just get hit with reality as soon as yeah. people actually you get live in a bubble, dude. I mean, think yeah. about it. Like, like these people, they all, they all think they're God, right. And they have a bunch of people that are jerking them off all day long, you know, you know, and just like, yes, sir. Yeah. You're the greatest, of course, you know, because they want to, they want to profit off of them. It's, but yeah, it's, but, it's really delusional. But a really good way to look at it, because I, I find that people who aren't, you know, don't watch a lot of cable news or aren't like that into the whole political drama, the way I explain it to them is like the Kardashians, <laughs> where for years and years they didn't realize that half of the people who were watching their show hated them. <laughs> yeah. Hated them. And as they got more involved in social media and that show and the social media became way, you know, more connected into their actual real life. And then, you know, they get like attacked with guns and have their jewels stolen. Like, um, and we know that's real because the cameras weren't there. That's how we know that really happened. Um, but I feel like that's how politicians are. I think they've been living in this world of like, oh, people love our stuff and they love yeah. us and they give us money. And it's like the Democrats are like, no, sometimes we give you 20 bucks just because the other guy's worse. Yeah. And, or Trump, and there's nothing and there's yeah. no option. And what was amazing about Trump was he recognized, and I say amazing, of course, he was odious and deplorable. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. What, what he understood was that they were hated, but that that means you'll still watch, right? So you're still hooked. And he understood that for a for because of his time, you know, I really think it's it's from his time like being the heel in WWE, right? The reason that what uh him and uh, what's the guy's name? Vince McMahon, the dude for the old, old school wrestling guy, the reason that he would mm -hmm. have him come into the ring and they would do those like, oh, you have a guy, wrestler that's being you and uh, this that wrestler is being me and we're battling it out and you know, it's because he was the perfect heel. Donald Trump was the perfect heel then and he, people watched him. When he was the host of the uh Apprentice, right? He was a piece of shit. He fired people. Right. But you watched. Right. Because it was the hooks were in you. And he understood that and he exploited it. And he just took people's hatred of politicians and, you know, swapped it out into the exact same thing. It well, wasn't just his he, money. He understood that, you know, politics in the modern era is a game of television. It is a media game. It is a you know reality TV show in and of itself. And, yeah, his years of perfecting that performance of, you know, the boss on The Apprentice, it absolutely, you know, dealt him a. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it gave him an advantage over his competition, especially in the Republican field where they really do, uh, you know, worship that charisma of celebrity despite pretending to hate um, celebrities and West Coast elites and all I that. Know. Reagan, oh my God, from, such hypocrites. Yeah, honestly, it, it's crazy. Um, I, oh, what were you going to say? I was, it's a terrible story, but I was talking to this very, people would always want, even from like the watching or like, uh, the buzzsaw days when I would be 
people would think I was more conservative for some reason. Like conservative dudes would come up to me at events and stuff and be like, you're really conservative like me. And I'd be like, where do you get that from? Like, are you fucking deaf? And I said, yeah. And he was like, oh. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I worked in Holly for a long two years, a long time. But like Republicans are the biggest star fuckers I've ever known. Yeah. And that's like, it's the same thing. It's like people sitting there crying about being, oh my God, you can't be a conservative in Hollywood, like Gina Carano. I'm like, bitch, they run half of Hollywood. That means you don't work there. I did. Like, who are you? Like, nobody, like, that's my thing is the conservatives think they like to play this victimhood. And I just realized it's like, they love it. It's like the oppression Olympics. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between the left and right. And I always worry when I see people on the left playing that like oppression Olympics where they're like, Oh my God, I can't see anything. And it's like, no, you just said something dumb that made people not like you. (laughs) That's yeah, no, that is very true. And there's a big difference between actual censorship and, you know, people coming after you on Twitter, because like you said, you said some dumb shit and got ratioed or whatever. Like that's not censorship. That's just people calling you out for saying something retarded or excuse my language, but you know what I'm saying? Saying something stupid. I'm supposed to get get canceled now. The left is coming for us. No. no. All of us college students are going to burn the Vanguard to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of people are wondering, uh, Tabitha, or they've asked at least, um, you know, why you left watching the Hawks and RT and, and what you've been up to since. And someone asked too in the comments earlier before we got uh, live, uh, if you've seen um, Sean yet f- or recently from the Buzzsaw show. Um, yeah. So I guess go down those questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I left for a, a bunch of reasons. Some of them were, I had done Buzzsaw for two straight years and then had, you know, essentially been there from the very beginning, the show, like created the show and doing, you know, like 48 to 50 weeks of news a year or five days a week, a half hour of news. It's, it's hard. And it's, it's, it's like emotionally traumatic, especially it was during, you know, the Trump years. And so it's a lot of, it was like ISIS, um, Black Lives Matter. And then the, that 2016 election were like the big, things and so by the end of it i really needed a, a break yeah. and i'm it, it was meant to be a, a, a shorter break not necessarily from watching the hawks but just like that i would probably you know get back on something sooner but it was literally like three months later COVID hit so wow. yeah. I, I decided to take the break um i haven't seen sean but you know we talk we're, we're friends from way back actually tyrell and sean and i all know each other from los angeles we've known each other uh just a little over 10 years now and so it was the two of them who actually got buzzsaw the show and they brought me in to produce and i never intended to be on camera i was Mm going to be like behind the scenes yeah i saw you did some like uh, assistant producing or something on like master chef right or something like that Oh, yeah, I was a Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen. Um, yeah. I was, this is funny. This came up actually last night. Uh, yeah, it was a. I did craft service for two seasons, and then I was a production assistant for two. And if you go to season twelve, episode twenty, it's the season finale. You will mm-hmm. see me and Mark Boone Jr. at the chef's table for the finale dinner. It's it's ourselves, and then Natasha Bedingfield was the other. She sang that like cheesy 
song that was like the theme for the Hills show or something, but like, it was so weird. But if you watch it, you'll see me with like dark hair. That's it's just somebody from I went to high school with was binge watching it with their kid last night and was like, clicks this picture and they're like, is that you? And I was like, yeah, yep. I look like a mob wife. It's very funny. <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I worked four seasons on Hell's Kitchen. I did a season of Top Chef Masters. Um, and then uh, Tyrell and Sean had just finished doing Conspiracy Theory mm-hmm. and got an offer to do the show Buzzsaw and then they were just terrible, so they had to bring me on <laughs> to make it better. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but, but that's kind of how my career in TV punditry got its start is me on the little online show talking about like making fun of the Illuminati and yeah. telling senators to go fuck themselves for their policy. Doing uh, the, the Lord's days. work. Yeah. It is, you know. Um, well, you know, I don't, someone's got to do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to pivot too hard, but one of the inter- I I, wa- I listened to your uh, show Broadview, um, and I you had the um, I guess on the the poor the the porn entertainer right, and one of the things you guys talked about that was super interesting to me that I wanted to talk to you more about because there's so much uh, like so much baggage when you try and talk about like sex entertainment and like oh, OnlyFans God. accounts and everything. Yeah. And, you know, you can't just be like, oh, these people are workers and they need to like, we need to figure out what's the best way for them to like make a living safely and successfully just like other workers. Right. And, and I think that uh, there's a lot of good intention that ends up coming off as a little bit like, uh, like uh, infantilizing and like, uh, you know, like just removing the sovereignty of the individuals and, you know, whether that's good faith or not. And, you know, it, it depends. I think a lot of times people are interested in protecting women, but in reality, they're kind of taking away their livelihood. So one of the things I wanted to t- uh, talk to you about a little bit was uh, how uh, sometimes the regulations that are designed to protect gig workers like Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, Postmates drivers, and which are fought for really hard amongst the left. And I think for good reason uh, are sometimes written in a way that's detrimental to uh uh, sex entertainers, and there's actually new legislation, if I'm not mistaken, that would uh, actually make it illegal to be a contractor for uh, like a, a like a camera streaming company if you're uh, like a sex entertainer. Is that true? Yeah. So yeah, and <clears throat> about Broadview. So yeah, I, I interviewed Ali Evnox, um, who is brilliant. She's so smart. She's up to a incredible. She mind made the crypt- best point about cryptocurrency on your show. She was like, that why was- are they marketing it like this? They just need to tell people how to use it and how to get their money. I don't care how any yeah. of it. Works. And I was like, that is so smart. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So it's like this idea of they've had to figure things out of how to, to work within these very draconian regulations that don't really help anybody. And that's, that's all the way from, you know, porn industry regulations on things like condoms and testing and all of that to now within the digital realm of figuring out how to do all these things and things like Pornhub and how do you verify, like taking with like, oh, we're not going to, you can't buy things from unverified people anymore. And you, in reality, most of these problems have already been solved. Most of the time there already is something there that takes care of this, that protects somebody. Um, but I don't know who these, these horrible, who these victims are that they're trying to make up in their mind because 90% of the time it's a consenting adult, 99% of the time it's a consenting adult, either purchasing some piece of content from another consenting adult 
or giving them money to share in viewing of something, right? I mean, that's pretty much all of our sex work at this point um, on the digital end to be regulated. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why the government should have anything to do with that in any way, shape, or form, except to tax the transaction. And when it comes to this idea of trying to, you know, be puritanical and say, okay, well, you can't use a streaming service if you let if you let sex workers do this, that is coming out of this whole save the children kind of we're trying to fix human trafficking, which again, the, the sex work industry has been hurt more by celebrities trying to save people. Um, well, yeah, because I think, that's, I think that would be the common pushback, right? Where, what about all of these kids who are being, you know, human trafficked and then filmed on, on Pornhub, right? Like that's kind of the prevailing narrative. I, I, I'm, I haven't done a whole lot of research on it. So I, I, you know, I couldn't say for sure. But that is what people are. That is the pushback, right? The pushback is always what about, you know, Ashton Kutcher, right? He's out there saving all of these kids to kind of put a face on one of those celebrities, right? Yeah. The point is too, though, that Google itself, you know, hosts that too. You can type that into Google or even Facebook and and find the same stuff. And they're not, you know, purging those entire websites of all their unverified users and cutting off the livelihoods of content creators. Well, and I think that's why we, I don't know where we're at in it. I think that oddly enough, uh, from my research, Kamala Harris isn't a bad ally to have in this. Um, but I think that federally we need to de- decriminalize sex work, yeah. all of it. It's work. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you are going into a coal mine and putting your body on the line every day to, to do that job, if you are, you know, picking up boxes in a factory, you're, you're putting, you know, you're using your body, it's labor, it's literal physical labor, and it's your body, and you, you decide how you want to make money off that. And every time that more regulation goes up, and they do things like close, you know, shut down back page, or, you know, start putting in all these regulations, because, you know, suburban moms read an article about OnlyFans, <laughs> and they're afraid, oh my God. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Or some celebrity ruins OnlyFans because they're terrible and don't and understand things. Who was that? Uh, that, that? Who's the girl that was like, she was the Disney girl. But then yeah. she, or, I, the name is on the tip of my tongue, but I, yeah. I just know she's always <laughs> naked anyway. Like, she, I'm like, why do you even need an OnlyFans? Every Instagram shot of you, you're naked. Like, <laughs> gotta rake the bread in. <laughs> I'm all like, why did anybody pay? I would have been like, just go to her IG. It's right there. <laughs> Um, yeah, I forget. So I forget about them when they do things or, you you know, you have people who find, you know, a certain corner, a certain uh, sector of sex work, and they like to play documentarian. And they're not really honest with their subjects. And they're not really honest with themselves. I mean, I know a lot of people who married somebody and stayed married having sex with them for 20 years. And then they got half the house. That seems like a form of prostitution if we're talking about selling our bodies, our souls, everything else. Like we do that. That's what we do. It's called capitalism. Yeah. I mean, and you can go to the fucking BPL plasma um, of the corner of Paseo in Kansas City and see a bunch of poor people who are selling plasma out of their fucking bodies for $40 to get something to eat uh, because that's also part of our capitalist system. And that's also literally selling your body. 
And also, this yeah. is a this is a really good point too from uh, Curate, who it absolutely is censorship, and it's not talked about that way, and it's not usually grouped in with the same discussion when we talk about you know activist movements or uh, people online, you know, being censored by big tech. But it really is cracking down on people's freedom of expression and their creative, uh, you know, right to express themselves artistically, which it is what pornography is for a lot of you know performers or sex workers. So uh, I think that's important to mention too. And there's a much more um, you know, there's a much more deft and nuanced way to handle the problem of unverified content, you know, coming from maybe exploited sources that that can be, you know, rooted out and taken care of in a way that doesn't just broad stroke destroy the livelihood of other content creators that may not be verified yet or that may not, uh, you know, have that those privileges. And, and those, you know, those sex workers are have already brought so much money and attention to pages like Pornhub or these companies which are treating them uh, poorly and ignoring their rights. So it's pretty disgusting um, the way that big tech is so emboldened lately. And this is just another example of the victims of it that isn't being talked enough, frankly. Yeah. And I, it's what's really pisses me off when you really look at it from a government standpoint is that every single one of these sex workers, whether it's you know, whether it's strippers, whether it's, and it's one of the things on Broadview, um, I'm going to make it into a video cast rather than just a podcast. So that's kind of why I took some time off and I'm recording some new things. So one of those is, is talking about this of really taking what we understand about sex work and being able to integrate that into policy or take away things that are, that do inhibit them to be able to do things because every sex worker I know pays taxes the things they can't, they have to either have a really good accountant um, or they have to sort of lie on their taxes in order to get things that any other business would be allowed to deduct things that would be considered expenses. Um, Like you said, they have to have backups of everything. They have to have backup services for, for, you know, their clips. They have to have backup social media accounts because despite the fact that services like TikTok and Twitter and uh, Instagram and everything else, they take their pictures of nudity and use them to get views. And then they ban those people as soon as they get people sort of clicked on. It's like, oh, you get lots of, we'll push you up. We'll use you to get new users, but then we're going to shut you down because you're a whore. And you're like, and who isn't? Again, capitalism. Right. Well, well capitalism makes us all whores, right? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then no one wants to stick up for them or stand up for them because they don't want to admit that they watch porn or, you know, they don't want to yeah. be associated with it. So they're just they're just quiet about it and nothing gets done and yeah. no attention is brought to and the And the other thing. Yeah. And sorry, Gavin. Oh, you're good. That's uh, I was the only thing that I was wanting to add on to that is that one thing that I just think that the left kind of needs to do better about this on is the fact that one thing that we've pretty much broadly accepted, right, is, okay, if we're going to uh, solve an issue uh, that impacts a marginalized community, like we have to talk to that community and understand the issue from their perspective and their needs and, and what they view the solution as, right? So, uh, for example, if 10 white guys like me and Gavin all sit down and we're like, we're going to solve feminism and like, you know, like, it's just not going to happen. You need women. You can't have us solve, you know, all these problems, right? You need I don't know. I have some ideas. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you and every other man. But, um, right. fucking, uh, but yeah, so it's like, you know, we, uh, we have to have the people who are impacted, who have these lived experiences 
uh, we have to have them, sh you know, share that and guide us towards the solution, right? And, and our job as a left and as people, you know, with empathy and who want the best for workers is to listen to them and provide that support. What I think is so ridiculous and, you know, puritanical is the exact way to look at it, right? We infantilize these women uh, who, and I shouldn't say just women, right? There are male sex workers too, but it's a predominant, it's a predominantly female led industry. Um, and because of that, you know, we infantilize them. We assume we know what's best for them. We trivialize their concerns. And, um, you know, and, and also I think a lot of it comes from, and that's on the left, right? Of course, on the right, you know, independent women making their own money, using their bodies however they want without a pimp, right? Which is the other really great part about OnlyFans is because you don't have to have somebody who's controlling you who isn't there who is exploiting you, you are your own boss. You're like in the pilot seat autonomously, which I think is really important and under uh, undersung. You know? It is, but that's the same argument that they use to sell Uber and Postmates and all the gig economy services. And I mean, that's how people end up without healthcare because they're the women of these companies that they're technically making money from, but they're really making more money for the company than they're receiving in profit. So I do think there's something to be said for that as well. And I think companies, if they were smart, would stop fighting so hard against uh, Medicare for all. Yeah. Because quite frankly, I I'd allow a lot of shit to yep. fly That's if I, I <laughs> didn't have to. Like, hey, if I worked for Uber and that was my that was my source of income, I wouldn't mind some of the things. No. If I had access to affordable healthcare that, you know, was paid out of my taxes and didn't come out of a paycheck. No. I'd be like, well, well, you know, I might build it, you know, that's a little bit better. Then those perks become viable, right? Yeah. But they're not when you, right. you say, okay, that, well, that, without I'm, I'm that exploitation. Right. And that's where it's like, you need a little socialism in there. Sorry, everyone. But that's what keeps old people from just being in the streets right now. Yeah. Like, you know, this idea that, you know, you got to pay your taxes. Yeah, we're literally paying the social security of people. We are paying to make sure that they are secure in our society. <laughs> it's a little contract we decided, um, but it shouldn't. We've, we're in a place right now, the gap between technology uh, helping us be able to create more for more people in a cleaner way, being able to, you know, produce things and having energy sources for that. The gap between us getting to where those things are built and we're getting benefits from them and where we are right now, like that needs to be paid for. Andrew Yang had a very strong, he has a lot of bad things about New York, but He's like a guy running for mayor in New York who seems like he's been to New York City like twice. <laughs> That's funny. It's really, That's I, like, funny. I, live, I only live there for seven years and every time I see it, I'm like, what is he talking about? Well, it's it's um, funny that you, it's funny you bring up Andrew Yang and that we're talking about kind of this welfare state because regardless of Yang's um you know issues which we have with him here at the Vanguard and we've you know gone over in depth all of his pros and cons of a Yang platform and administration or whatever, but I do think that there's something to be said for universal basic income in tandem yeah. with uh, Medicare for all. And in that event, uh, you know, then you're absolutely right. I think that it would be a lot more reasonable for people to, you know, go to places like YouTube or maybe even Uber or whatever to make their living as kind of like contract workers because their basic needs would be met their income. You know, they have an income regardless if they don't show up to work, you know, five days a week for nine hours. Uh, they have healthcare regardless of the fact if they've been in the company for five years and have unlocked the ability to, you know, see a doctor. <laughs> 
uh, or a dentist or, or whatever, um, you know, it does open that up. On the other hand, uh, we don't want to, you know, completely take, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of corporations, and this is something that Vina Dubal, the professor uh, from UC Hastings told Zach and I on the podcast was, she was like, well, a lot of corporations also do want uh, universal for basic income for that reason, because then they have to pay less, you know, it's less of a burden on them uh, because they don't have to provide any benefits. So, uh, I, I mean, I guess that's an interesting policy in the sense that it could work for both corporations and people. And ideally, obviously we want to move away from corporations, but in the interim, I guess it's a, it, it's a, it's a decent idea. Do you have any opinions on universal basic income? It's something that we go back and forth on a lot on the show. Um, I do think it has its place. And I think it, especially right now, it's, it should be something that should have been like sort of on the books as the pull in case of emergency. <laughs> like at the very, we should have had that put aside for, Hey, what happens when, you know, the whole stock market crashes all around the world again, and there's no money. And like, really stuff is bad for months and months. Like maybe we should think about this. Um, and I think that we should have something like that universal basic income that in times like now would be, you know, two to 3000, maybe $4,000 a month per person, depending on what your needs are. Um, And, you know, and I'm not against them setting something like that up and saying, you know, in five years or in so many years, this number goes down or we start adjusting those numbers as, you know, more green energy opens up and people aren't needing it as much. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter to me because even if we gave everyone two or $3,000 a month, they would spend it mm-hmm. yep. or they would invest it. That's what and these people w- don't understand is there is like- <laughs> no bottom wealth. There is no wealth accumulation, right? It is yeah. hand to mouth everywhere, everywhere. You, I mean, you, you think about like, because even if you make what, you know, is a, is a reasonable living, especially in the Midwest, right? If you're making eighty, ninety thousand $90,000 a year and you have a family, what you're constantly trying to do then is put your family in a better position, right? This is how capitalism works. So you're still living very hand to mouth. You're still trying to put your kid in the best house, in the best area, in the best school district. Uh, you're still spending that extra money that you have. Now it's on a family vacation instead of new shoes for your kid. But you're still you're still spending every bit of money that you have, even if you are now part of a middle class family that is just outside the realm of people who would qualify for checks. Right. And that's why people at the middle class, you know, or working class and below, those are the actual job creators. Their money is the stuff that actually creates the jobs. It's it's not the guys at the top. It's my money that goes into the grocery store that pays the person at the, you know, at the counter, the person who checks me out, the person who cleans it, the person who box it, the company that buys it. Like this is the part where it's, it's sort of basic economics, but they seem to really still believe, like, I don't know. It, it's trick. It trickle down doesn't work. No, it never yeah. has. It, and, it never and now, did. Yeah. And now we're hearing these bullshit disingenuous arguments against raising the minimum wage to a measly $15 an hour, which is ridiculous because they tell us like, well, you know, the small businesses aren't going to be handled that. Well, at this point in this fucking country, are there any small businesses yeah. left? I don't know a single goddamn person that doesn't, isn't employed by a fucking corporation that can easily, yeah. easily afford to pay them at least $15 an hour, if not 25 $35 an hour. Like I'm talking, you know, Pizza Hut, what like these companies are multinational. Uh, you can go to Africa and find them. Like these are companies that are more than enough money to pay their employees. And it's goddamn ridiculous uh, that we have politicians in this country, you know, even moderate moderate Democrats like Joe Manchin, uh, who moderate are out here, Manchin. you know, yeah. 
Yeah, speaking of Mansion, yeah. uh, did you hear that he might uh, come in and save us from Nira Tandon? Wow, our choices are so amazing, guys. Yeah, Joe Manchin <laughs> stepped up instead of Bernie Sanders. Go fucking figure. Yeah, yeah. Who's uh, shocked? Is, yeah, shocked. Are, yeah. Who's shocked? Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry. It's the same. The funny thing is about like the Neri Tandon, like all the conservatives who like freaked out about her. I'm like, you're the ones who don't care about tweets, and all they did was talk about her <laughs> fucking tweets. Yeah. I'm like, I don't care. I've got some tweets where I said oh, yeah. some shit too during the election. Like, that's not the point. Like, can we just <laughs> criticize her for actual things we could yeah. criticize her for? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mansion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely funny that it has come to this. And Biden is saying that he's going to go ahead with her nomination to the Office of Management and Budget. He says he'll find the votes, uh, meaning he might have to get a few Republicans, maybe Mitt Romney. And that's hilarious to huh. me because Biden has been giving up every fight instantly the minute there's a single resistance from even a single senator like Manchin uh, to you know $15 an hour or anything that was actually progressive or actually um, decent, helpful to the American people. But um, when you know, Neera Tandon is challenged by Joe Manchin. Uh, he's not going to roll over then. No, he's going to find the votes. He's going to twist some yeah. arms and get it done. So uh, it really shows you the priorities of this administration and who he's really currying favors for. And it's definitely not the left. No, I think here's the thing. Joe is Joe Biden is like Uncle Joe. He's like your your <laughs> sweet uncle who, you know, thinks it's it's great that you're like, you know, you know, different and you're, you know, special and you're such a go-getter and, you know, he's, he seems really great, you know, but secretly if you, st after he has a couple of drinks, he'll say things like, oh, well, her new boyfriend's black, you know, like it's that guy. And like, Joe Biden will also go and grab her by the pussy too, you yeah. know, if I could just right. surprise just like, <laughs> Don't leave him in the room alone with your young daughter, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm like, Ugh. and he's going to say something creepy that you don't even know if it's like, you know, that's what, that was the thing, that was a really salient um, nickname. Uh, yeah, it was like, oh God, fine. Which just tells you like, how many people just had to like swallow their pride and just like Yeah, did you check. support Joe Biden in any election, Tabitha? Um, define support. I, yeah, I guess I voted for Joe Biden, so I guess I'll I'll, I'll show my cards first. Yeah, yeah, I did, it was like it was like that. Yeah. Uh, actually, it was electronics. So I just like yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I didn't like outwardly support. I was just like, please don't vote for Trump. Just please don't vote for Trump. Yeah, you're that was like the only that thing you could do. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Well, which, state were you, um, which state were you voting in? Because uh, I've always said if I was in a purple state, I would have maybe voted for Joe Biden as it was living in Missouri. I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to co-sign that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually uh, live in D.C. So, yeah. like, it's going to go blue anyway. Yeah. Um, so you did it for honestly, no reason. Just, <laughs> I just didn't even – I just I did it for the nostalgia. Uh, no, I just kind of was like <laughs> – there wasn't, I mean, I'm an independent. I don't belong to any party and there just, there wasn't even anybody I could get excited about. Howie Hawkins? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Over doing it. 26. That tells you. That's what you. That should tell you how fucking bored I am. About, like, how just like, nope, nope, yeah. I'm not even, I'm in DC. Like nothing's going to flip here. And I'm still just going to do bad because I'm not, I'm not. What if someone finds out that I voted for Howie Hawkins? Like, <laughs> 
Uh, no, it just like the Green Party. Yeah, I think they they just didn't handle things really well in their nominating process. Yeah, and, it was a bit of know, a bug. Yeah, and I think they had the opportunity to have different people, but they just don't. They're a very insular group. Like you said, oh, I have I was hoping. Them. Yeah, we, we were talking about this with Tyrell last weekend, uh, and obviously it was more relevant because his father, but I was hoping that the Greens would, would run Jesse Ventura. I thought that was an obvious uh, pick that could have really gotten them a lot of attention and even electoral success, at least 5%, you know, if they really give yeah. a shit about winning. No but, more <laughs> Yeah. Right? Yeah. I just think they really screwed that one up. I think, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, I think if Jesse had ran in 2016, we wouldn't have Trump. Because I think I he would have, he would have, he may, he wouldn't, he might not have beaten Hillary, but he would have, he would have split the votes that were going to go to Trump. If he had gotten on the um, debate stage, I, th I think he actually could have at least had a yeah. chance and he would have been someone that could have gotten on the debate stage, which is another reason that it's insane that the Green Party didn't, you know, run to him and throw themselves and at he's him. more physically imposing than Trump. He's not going to be yeah. like, you know, <laughs> you bullied know by, you know what I mean? Jesse Ventura is just in a, like, what are, like the, you know what I mean? Just doing this. We've like talked Trump, about this like, a lot what? on the podcast, <laughs> but the body gets pushed around by no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, oh, like, Donald Trump was able to demasculate Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, but you put him up there with Jesse Ventura and he's no longer the alpha male there's that for there's yeah. i mean and that is what a lot of the republican calculus is or at least the you know those kind of voters that gravitated towards trump they would have been like wait you know regardless completely regarding policy they would have just been like who's this guy you know like what's yeah. up with this and, <laughs> and the thing is i think it's because you know when when jesse you know was a governor he he was honest he did everything he said he was going to do he worked with both parties and all that, you know, both parties, because he was an independent, treated him like garbage. I mean, Hillary called him a, like a, a circus or a clown show or something at one point. And this is a guy who got light rail. Like he got major infrastructure projects through. He did all these things. He didn't play politics. And they don't like that because it doesn't fit in their agenda. But I think that when you see more and more progressive politicians, even in the Democratic Party, eventually they are going to be leaders in that party and things won't be the same because they don't care about, you know, consultants about their hair color and, you know, what kind of dog they should get or the possible. <laughs> What's the Twitter, Twitter account with like Joe Biden's dog. It's like the, the office of the puppy in chief or something like, ridiculous. Oh yeah. There's like, the office. <laughs> it's like the paw office or something of the, yeah. It's 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 really it's really uh, pretty embarrassing given the fact that we're in a pandemic and a depression right now and that the federal government is completely dropping the ball. That's what they're uh, focused on, but that's where we are as a country. Yeah. On that okay. note, um, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, coming on our show today, Tabitha. We really appreciated talking with you about uh, you know the lovely state of affairs we find ourselves in as Americans. Anytime, anytime. And, you know, I think that what the pandemic has sort of given us is a chance to breathe that I think we haven't had in a really long time because things have just been like one thing after another after another. And, you know, generationally, we're all kind of learning things. And I think coming out of this, we are going to be a lot smarter and a lot stronger. And hopefully we won't be still uh arguing about the same things we'll have a whole new world of things we can argue yeah, about there you go. in there a post-covid world <laughs> we can invite, we can use whatever we want to destroy our movement by the way the exactly. oval the oval poffice count got suspended i have no idea why oh, no. <laughs> drama
I, I, I really wow. do not understand why. I, I thought it was like actually controlled by the Biden administration. Oh, maybe it wasn't. People are freaking out. So, <laughs> some breaking news, guys. That is uh, recent, as of two I hours can, ago. I, I could be at the White House in a few hours. I'll be, I'll there you go. Yeah. Get, well, on the ground with Tabitha Wallace in the yeah. Vanguard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're in DC. You can you can be our uh, DC you know reporter. I love it anytime. Um, <laughs> well, well, thanks so much, Tabitha. I uh, can't wait to see your new um, video edition of the podcast. That's super exciting. Are you going to be putting it on YouTube? You said. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Be, uh, all over. So yeah. That's awesome. Well, Thank I think so I'm excited for that, and I bet a lot of other people too are that watching. Like I said, some people said that they really missed you um, on watching the Hawks Aww. and on Buzzsaw, yes. and that they look forward to whatever you do next. So. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I agree too. Uh, I would also vote for him He's still next year or next. Thanks so much, Tabitha. Yeah. Thank you so much. Both of you I had such a great time. Thanks Zach. Thanks Gavin.